Hello, everyone. Today, I'm going to be talking to Danielle D'Souza Gill on her fantastic new book, The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. That's coming right up. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be talking to Danielle D'Souza Gill. She's a young author and commentator who currently lives in New York City. She's a graduate from Dartmouth College and the author of Why God? An Intelligent Discussion on the Relevance of Faith. She has filmed videos for PragerU, so many of you may have seen her there. She has been a Turning Point USA ambassador, and she's been on various TV and radio networks including Fox News, One America, Newsmax, and Salem Radio. She is also the youngest advisory board member of Women for Trump, a coalition of President Donald J. Trump's re-election campaign. The choice, the abortion divide in America, is our subject today, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. All right, just to start off, maybe tell our listeners and our viewers a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Danielle D'Souza Gill, and... I'm an author. I'm the author of a book called Why God, an Intelligent Discussion on the Relevance of Faith. And my new book is called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. I'm a graduate of Dartmouth College. I graduated a couple years ago. I also am on the board of Women for Trump Advisory Board, and I've been traveling around the country, kind of reaching young voters, talking about the pro-life issue. And I'm also on the board of Indian Voices for Trump. And I am... um, very excited about my new book. So thanks for joining me. Yeah. So what made you decide to write a book about abortion, especially now? I think abortion is really one of the most critical issues of our time. Even if we look at all of the controversies swirling in America, if we look back at Kavanaugh, I think what was really motivating a lot of um, the heat behind that whole situation and why the left was so against him was the fact that they were worried about the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I think if we see that is really what drives the left berserk when it comes to Trump, too. They're afraid that if Trump gets another four years in office, then they could really see a reality of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So um, I think I just thought that the abortion issue was an issue that kind of was an undercurrent beneath a lot of other political issues. I also was really inspired to write about this because I moved to New York City after graduating from college, um, kind of around the time when Governor Cuomo was lighting up the Freedom Tower pink to celebrate the fact that they changed their law to allow nine-month abortions. And I didn't, uh, I, I just I just couldn't understand how uh, that could really be the, the platform of the Democrat Party today. So I wanted to dive into that issue and kind of debunk a lot of the most common pro-choice myths that the left puts out in the media and just through uh, through their platforms in Hollywood. So have you always been pro-life or did you come to that position later on or during your university? Or tell us a bit about how you got to the point where not only are you pro-life, but you're writing a book about abortion. Yeah, well, I I think I was pro-life. I just didn't, I didn't really think about kind of the, the fact that the left is so radical on that issue. I think when I was in in high school and in college, I had seen uh, pro-life groups. I had definitely kind of been been involved in some pro-life activism on, on campus, but I decided that it was something I really wanted to take on uh, head on after college because of the fact that the left has such massive uh, messaging strategies. And I think their messaging and, you know, Planned Parenthood kind of 
targeting these campuses, targeting certain neighborhoods, all of this, it just, it had to be uh, something that I really wanted to speak out on. So um, yeah, I'm not sure when I initially became pro-life, but um, I think it was just over time, honestly, through seeing the facts, seeing uh, the ultrasound and the heartbeat, just all of the, all of the things that we've, we've kind of seen with abortion uh, really confirm the, the fact that we need to protect human life. Now, the interesting thing about the left is that although the Democratic Party became the party of abortion fairly soon after Roe v. Wade, especially as in the 1980s, Ronald Reagan recognized the value of the pro-life voter and appealing to the pro-life voter, but they they didn't used to be as pro-abortion as they are now. So you have, for example, uh, Senator Joseph R. Biden, who's now the presidential nominee, voting twice to overturn Bill Clinton's veto on the partial birth. Abortion Act. You have a lot of different Democrats who were once considered unreliable votes on abortion by NARAL, by Planned Parenthood. That includes Bill Clinton prior to his presidential run. It includes Al Gore, who was, of course, vice president under Bill Clinton. It includes people like the Reverend Jesse Jackson, who was pro-life before he was pro-choice. It includes Teddy Kennedy, who once wrote a letter to a constituent explaining why he was pro-life before flipping his position and most famously going after uh, Robert Bork during the Supreme Court nomination process. So how did we get uh, Democrats who were at, at at best like really conflicted on the abortion issue to a totally different scenario where they are the party of all abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy, funded by our taxpayer dollars, including the repeal of the Hyde Amendment, which Biden has supported for his almost 50-year career? Yeah, well, I think when we look at kind of particular politicians, especially like Joe Biden, I think they flip flop on the issues really depending on what they think is going to work for them at the time. So, you know, Biden's been in politics for 47 years. And yeah, I mean, no Democrat back then was saying nine month abortions. Um, People, I think, back then thought, oh, okay, you know, um, you know, we have to kind of see at what point do we do we want to protect protect life in the womb. But I think that Joe Biden, I mean, he's really just kind of uh, changing with the times and he wants to wants to appeal to these kind of far left progressive uh, voters. But I think that this kind of undercurrent of Democrats supporting abortion was was brewing way, 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 way back. Um, And unfortunately, it kind of actually has um, become their their their, their party platform. Um, but I, I'm shocked to see that there aren't more Democrats who are saying, no, I'm not on board with this. And you really can't find many of them in high positions of leadership. Most of them, if, um, if they were in power, are no longer because they'd be shunned by the Democrat Party. You know, um, if we look at all the main Democrats who were in the primaries running for the nomination, they were all in favor of late-term abortion. Mm-hmm. So, what does that tell us? It tells us that, you know, that's one of the key tenets of the Democrat Party now. And I think if they had made that argument, you know, 30 years ago, people would have looked at them like, this is totally crazy. You know, um, most Americans today don't even support late term abortion. So I think that even their narrative now is very disconnected from what most Americans think. I mean, a baby um, in, the, in the last trimester can survive on its own outside the womb and I mean, the whole idea of nine-month abortions with no medical reason is is not something most Americans are on board with. 
Well, it's interesting because you said uh, 30 years ago. Well, 30 years ago, you had Sergeant Shriver, Eunice Shriver, Kennedy, and a number of other uh, Democratic, uh, essentially elites, writing an open letter trying to convince the Democratic Party to not go down the route that they've now taken. But but here we are. And so what are you really trying to accomplish with the book? Who are you trying to reach, first and foremost? And what do you want your readers to understand? I think what I want my readers to understand is, look, we can be on the attack. We have very uh, convincing arguments, pro-life arguments, and I want them to know how can they debunk the most common pro-choice myths. So whether or not they're uh, pro-life already or not, I think that unfortunately a lot of pro-choicers out there think that they kind of have slam dunks on us and they they think that, you know, ha ha ha, we, we kind of have it on you guys because uh, we don't have the access to the kind of megaphones that they do. But I'm hoping that um, that just by kind of dismantling the most common narratives they say, we can uh, reach more people to think twice about it. Um, and of course, to help pro-lifers to have some, some re- responses to a lot of these arguments. So how divided uh, do you think America is on this issue? In your research for this book, uh, what give our, our, our listeners a, a rough idea of where America is on the abortion issue almost 50 years after Roe v. Wade. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I actually think that America has become much more pro-life with time because of technology. I think, you know, who can argue with the fact that a, heart, a heartbeat shows that there's life? Um, you know, we all have a heartbeat. And um, I think that also the fact that if we look, look at, as I was saying with uh, the polls on this, I mean, where the Democrats are compared to where most people are on abortion is completely, completely different. Um, you know, I'd be happy to, to, to dive into it with the Democrats on, okay, you know, um, four weeks after conception or two weeks or, you know, kind of in um, before we kind of get to the heartbeat uh, place. But it's like that's not even where the Democrats are on this issue. That is so, so far off from what the Democrats want to, want to debate. They want to debate, you know, that um, once the baby is born outside the womb, it's a person. So, um, you know, I think that that's just it's so off base from what science shows us. And I hope that I, I hope that they can get to a point where they say, no, OK, uh, we agree with you. We think, you know, all of these um, abortions are, are not OK. Now, let's kind of discuss these particular cases. OK, sure. Let's let's discuss it. Let's dive in there. But that's not where they are on the debate. So we really have to dismantle their arguments on on basically all fronts. So would you say your target audience for the book then is pro-lifers who share your convictions but simply don't know how to respond to a lot of the common arguments? I think that's one group, um, but I think there's another group of people who genuinely want to hear the pro-life responses. A lot of pro-choicers are are pretty confident in their views and they think, you know, I don't think that pro-lifers can actually debunk these myths. And I think that they would be curious to kind of hear the other side on that and also to um, maybe change their minds on it. There are a lot of people who aren't super political. They aren't super, uh, you know, following every every single thing on Twitter. And right. uh, they're just genuinely curious about this issue. And I think we're in a time where literally there's so rarely debate on this issue. Pro-choicers don't want to debate pro-lifers because they know that it could, it could potentially make them look bad. And so I think there are a lot of people who are like, you know, I'm actually just genuinely curious to hear kind of both sides. And so they would maybe want to dive into something like this book. 
Well, so let's let's dive into it. What are some of the first arguments that you wanted to deal with? Uh, because I assume you, like myself, growing up as a pro-life person, you hear a lot of these arguments, and they seem uh, daunting until you dig just a little bit deeper. So which which arguments did you really want to ensure were in your book and debunked properly? Yeah, I think one that's that, that that's an interesting argument is the argument of I'm pro-life, but I don't want to impose my views on someone else. Right. And I find that argument interesting because it kind of seems popular and it seems like an appealing one. I know um, we talked about kind of Democrats in the past, and that was a common argument that Democrat politicians used, used to make to kind of make it seem like, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm a good person, don't worry. But, you know, I also really value other people's choices. And it's kind of a cop out. Um, so that, that I think was an interesting argument to debunk. And in that chapter, uh, I kind of go into, you know, um, well, let's dissect, like, what does this really mean? If you are personally pro-life, but you don't want to impose your views on someone else, basically what you're saying is that you don't want to impose your views on the woman, but you're fine imposing your views on the child that is obviously going to be affected by this decision. So there's really no such thing as being personally opposed to abortion and not imposing your views on someone else. You know, just by taking that position, you are imposing your views on someone else and someone else is going to bear the consequences of that. So um, I think once you kind of dive into it more and see um, what does that argument really mean, it can be kind of interesting. So one of the the things I've often wondered is that I've done a lot of pro-life activism. I work as comms director for a pro-life organization. And one of the things that we have found is that, uh, for example, immigrants, um, Hispanic people, African-American voters, the vast majority of them, when you speak with them about the issue, are very, very pro-life. But the vast majority of them don't vote pro-life. How do you reach out to all these communities of people who share our conviction on the life is- issue, which is... is in- to my mind at least, the most important issue. If you don't get this one right, nothing else really matters. Um, How do we start reaching out to them and and, and explaining our our position to them in a way that convinces them that this this should be the ballot box issue for anybody who cares about basic human rights? Absolutely. And that's why I've been doing the Women for Trump bus tour down in South Texas and really trying to reach Latino voters, women voters, um, a lot of Christian voters. And I think that it's it's unfortunate that there's kind of this taboo around Christians and a lot of churches to, you know, hey, we can't dive into politics. And uh, usually when I talk to them, I say, guys, this is not a, a political uh, issue itself. This is a moral issue. This is a human life issue. And, um, you know, because of how politics has played out, this party is... Um, you know, stands for this and this party stands for this. So, so in that sense, it's political, but the issue itself isn't something we can just say, you know, I abstain. I don't really want to get too involved here because, um, you know, I'm not asking people to say, you know, throw your life on the line. You have to, you know, do all these things and be an activist. No, you know, all you really have to do is vote, vote based on your principles and your vote is going to make a difference between someone else's life or death in this issue. So, um, so yeah, no, I think it's really important that we get our message out so that we can actually act based on these things. You know, it's not just theory, it's also taking action. So when you're on these bus tours and you're talking to people, what are the main reasons they give you for not speaking out or for not voting on the abortion issue? Yeah, I don't think they necessarily phrase it as, hey, you know, I don't vote on the abortion issue, but they kind of say something um, say, say something like, oh, you know, um, 
you know, I didn't really realize that it was like that. I, I, did, I didn't really realize that these things, because a lot of these people aren't following, um, you know, the platforms of both sides. They're not following the fact that, you know, hey, you know, President Trump has been one of our most pro-life presidents. Um, he has really spoken out on this. And something I like to point out to them, especially pro-lifers who are a little skeptical of Trump, who say, you know, I'm not really sure that, that he's pro-life. I say, you know, look at the RNC. He didn't just throw in one pro-life speaker. He threw in pro a pro-life talk every single night. So he wasn't just throwing a bone to pro-lifers to try to get their vote. This is something he actually cares about. He's talked about. He went to the March for Life. He, he you know, really held Planned Parenthood accountable on Title 10. So I think it's about the actions and about, um, you know, what we're seeing with our courts. I think long-term, I mean, way after Trump, whether or not you you, you like Trump as a person, it's like this is going to impact decades and decades of legislation, um, also just in, in, our, in our Supreme Court, but our lower courts. And so that is going to be make or break, I think, on what we see with the life issue. So whenever I talk to people, I try to talk to them about just, you know, what are the principles that you believe in and how can we, how can we, um, how, how can I explain in a way that, uh, that kind of makes sense as far as what they're curious about. So you've talked about the the personally pro-life angle, and what's really interesting is that it was actually a handful of, of liberal Jesuit priests who persuaded the Kennedys and the Shrivers and the Cuomos almost 40, 50 years ago that a, a Catholic politician could be personally pro-life, but publicly and politically pro-choice. So it's sort of interesting. There's, a, there's a, a historical backdrop to why they make that claim. And you mentioned Governor Cuomo, right? It would have been his father that first held that position, and now he's actually expanding uh, abortion access. But what are some of the other arguments uh, that you deal with in your book, just to sort of whet the uh, the, the listenership's appetite for what, what what you have to offer here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we cover a, a big round. We cover uh, fetus as a cluster of cells. You mm. know, it, it's a human, but it's not really a person. We cover um, it's a it's a choice between a woman and her doctor. The Constitution supports. Uh, a right to privacy supports abortion. Uh, we go into abortion empowers women. Uh, we go into, you know what, fetus, it kind of sucks for you. It's your bad luck in life. And a lot of people have, you know, they get dealt a bad hand. So we dive into a, a lot of different <laughs> range of issues uh, in the book. And um, I think it's, it's interesting to kind of uh, dive into, you know, what do people actually think when it comes to um, when it comes to a lot of a lot of these issues, and sometimes people won't say it, but a lot of, I've have I have heard a lot of people say who are who are um, kind of I don't know people who I've met in New York. They'll be like, I agree with the Freakonomics argument, which is you know, a lot of these uh, people who are aborted, they would be criminals, things like that. So we dive into debunking that and look at okay, let's look at crime rates. Let's really dive in here, and so yeah, it's it's uh. It's, it's, it's a huge topic, so lot, lot, lots to dive into. So how did you end up uh, working with, with Women for Trump? That's an interesting question, because you say there's been a lot of people skeptical of Trump. I'll, I'll admit that I was uh, in the beginning as well, but I'll also admit that on the abortion issue, uh, I thought he was going to screw us over, like uh, like many GOP politicians in the past. But on this issue, he's as you, you, you brought up the RNC, there's a video of just all the pro-life bits of the Republican National Convention. I think it's like 12 minutes long, just specific references to abortion. So how did you end up uh, working with Women for Trump? Trump. Yeah, well, I was I was really excited. Um, they reached out to me, um, I think maybe um, a little over a year ago when Women for Trump launched. 
uh, and I'm the youngest uh, advisory board member in Women for Trump. So I was just like, you know what? I'm really excited to reach younger women, to reach younger voters, and to talk to them about things that they care about. And um, you know, I'm, I spend a lot of time with uh, younger women who are working moms. And so I'm like, you know, guys, paid family leave. I mean, these are all things Trump is in favor for in favor of. And even now with uh, the things he's pushing as far as peace, he wants to get us out of war. And it almost seems like the Democrats are really just against anything Trump does. It doesn't really matter what, what the content is of what he's doing. Yeah, man they were anti-war, but now they're kind of like, oh no, we're just, we're just anti-Trump. So I think just kind of dispelling, dispelling a lot of those, those myths I think is important. So the woman for, uh, for 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 Trump organization, I know some of the more prominent members of that organization. Would you say they all feel the same way as you do on the abortion issue or is it a mixed bag? I haven't talked to every person um, who is involved with the campaign on their personal views. I have spoken to a lot of people. We have pro-life, pro-life voices for Trump coalition, and they're very strong pro-life voices, um, all of whom are pro-life. And um a lot of the women for Trump I've met are, are, are pro-life as well. So, yeah, I thought that, that that's what I found. I've talked to, um, I'm trying to think who all I've spoken to about the issue, but I, I've, I haven't heard any any anti-pro-life. So when you're looking at the upcoming election and you're talking to somebody, say, who has pro-life convictions but is very quiet about it, doesn't know how to vote, or is just sort of uncomfortable due to the nonstop fire hose uh, of anti-Trump information coming out, what would your response be? Let's say I'm an undecided voter, I'm pro-life, but I just don't like Trump because I read, well, pretty much any of the left of center or center media. How would you persuade me to vote for him? I would say to, uh, I mean, think about think about what are your convictions, what are your morals and values. Don't try to dive into, um, you know, let me tell you about mine and try to convince you. I'd say, what are yours, and where 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 do those fall? Who do you think is the candidate that aligns with that? And um, I think that if we're if we're talking about the life issue, there's just there's just no comparison. There's, it's not even a close one, if that's an issue that the person I'm talking to cares about. Um, I mean, Kamala Harris is in favor of, of nine-month abortions. They want to force nuns to pay for other people to have abortions. They were, they're in favor of taxpayer-funded abortion. And um, even on the religious freedom issue, they are very willing to stamp out people's consciences and force them to do things that they don't feel comfortable with. And so I would say, you know, is that something that you're okay with? What, what, what is it that you think um, is right? And, you know, for, for, as, for, as far as our country goes. Um, so, yeah, I think just voting based on your principles is what I encourage everyone to do. I don't want to ever want anyone to vote against their principles. Um, but if you're saying they're already pro-life and that's a principle that they really care about, they want to vote on that, um, I would say, yeah, you know, that's very, very clear then to vote for Trump. This other party is is not on board with your principles. Uh, have any of the conversations you've had over the last year or so really stuck out to you on this subject? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's unfortunate that a lot of, as you were saying, a lot of people um, who are pro-life maybe were kind of just like, you know, I'm not sure about Trump's personality. And I think um, usually what I say to them is that ultimately it's like, 
Well, first of all, I think it's great. I think that we do need someone who's a very strong fighter. As we've discussed, as far as Republicans in the past, they've seemed like really nice guys, but they're not exactly strong fighters on the life issue. They will kind of, you know, talk about the life issue, but they don't actually fight on it. So I actually think it's great that Trump is a, a fighter. And I think if he um, if he makes it one of his issues, he is going to fight on it. So I think that's awesome as far as personality. But I know that it doesn't resonate with everyone, in which case I'd say that, um, you know, the policies is what's going to affect people's lives for years to come, um, long after these next four years. So, um, so yeah, those have been some interesting conversations. I've never heard anyone come up to me and say, you know what, I really think that these Democrats who are running are pro-life. I really think that it's like, never heard it. Um, can't even think of a single conversation where somebody thinks that. So in general, it's usually something like, oh, you know, maybe I'm just like not going to vote at all. Or, um, you know, why should I kind of vote for Trump? And in which case, that's when I kind of dive into, you know, we can't really abstain when it comes to these moral issues. We we need to take action if that's actually something that we want to see the action carry through. So who would you say the most dangerous Democrat on the life issue is? Ooh, oh, my gosh, that's a tough one. I don't know if I can pick one, but at the top of my head, I did find um, Buttigieg in the in the campaign trail to be particularly just, um, I just could not believe his pro-abortion stance. He gave a speech where he talked to uh, people and said, you know, abortion, uh, abortion um, inspires people. And we're, we're also inspired by your abortion story. And he argued that life begins with breath. Yeah. And said the Bible might say that. Yeah, exactly. The Bible supports that abortion begins with breath and all of this. And I guess just that was particularly um, frustrating because it's like, okay, you're trying to bring in the Bible to justify, you know, killing a baby that's, you know, at nine months before it's out of the womb. Uh, I just, I just think that that was particularly horrific. So I would say, yeah, probably Pete Buttigieg is one of my tops. I saw Elizabeth Warren celebrated her birthday at Planned Parenthood. She said she'd wear a Planned Parenthood scarf if she was um, inaugurated. So she's she's a strange a strange one in her in her love of Planned Parenthood. But yeah, I mean, gosh, all of the Democrats are at least the the most popular ones are are very pro-abortion. And I'll add one fact to that. I would agree with you. The two people running that concerned me the most were Pete Buttigieg and then Kamal Harris. I was so relieved when she proved to be as unpopular with Democratic voters as she was with pro-lifers. And then she ended up uh, on the ticket anyways, as you know. But she's the one who used her power to go after David Daleiden of the Center for Medical Progress while taking cash from Planned Parenthood for her senatorial campaign, which is unbelievable. And nobody ever holds her to account for it. So even if Joe Biden was still the air quotes moderate who supported the Hyde Amendment by selecting her. Uh, he has made himself one of the most pro-abortion candidates ever running. And the fact that he used to be moderately pro-choice as opposed to extremely pro-choice, in my mind, speaks to something terrible about him. If he's willing to abandon that uh, for politics, that says something particularly distasteful about Joe Biden, I think. And he's running a campaign on honor. Yeah, I mean, he he really quickly threw his old so-called convictions in the trash. I mean, he's not for Hyde Amendment anymore. So, um, yeah, no, he, he, he wants everybody to be paying for other people's abortions. Um, I'm not sure if he ever believed it or if he did throw it away for politics. 
I'm not sure, but either way, uh, where he stands now, at least running as a candidate, he's he's definitely on the abortion side. And he touts the fact that he's, um, you know, supported by Narol and and all of those organizations. And Planned Parenthood who said vote for him like your life depends on it without any sense of irony. <laughs> I know, literally, we have to vote for, for Trump based on many people's lives depending on it. Literally. So... One other thing I wanted to ask you, because you're trying to speak into the culture here and get people engaged on the abortion issue, is I've spent a lot of time looking at who's having a, an impact on this issue. And I, I've actually been very impressed with Meghan McCain on The View uh, for, for one primary reason. I don't agree with her on, on quite a number of issues, but she is very consistent on the abortion issue, a lot more pro-life than than her father was while he was while he was running for president, um, for that matter. And and she had just uh, former Ohio Governor John Kasich uh, on the view, and she challenged him on the abortion issue and said, "You know, I hate Trump, but the abortion issue is just too big of a deal for many of us, and for many of us, that makes Biden and Kamala Harris uh, sort of like." You you cannot vote for somebody who supports killing babies in the womb full stop. And I was really impressed that she was sort of publicly grappling with that, especially because The View is a, is something that's not primarily watched by conservatives. It's primarily watched by progressives and by liberals. And so I've always been impressed that she uses her platform to denounce abortion and promote the pro-life view, even though she knows she's going to get backlash. But who would you look at in the culture that you would say, oh, they're really having a, a positive impact in, in creating discussion around this really important issue just like you are yeah really quick on megan mccain one thing i watched of her that i liked was when she had on um i think mary trump who wrote that kind of hit book on on the trump family and she was yeah. like you don't even know ivanka trump you don't even know any of these people and you're writing this book and she was uh very flustered and i just thought you know good for you for calling her calling her out because i think megan talked a little bit about how yeah all these people claim to know my family and they don't actually know us um so uh yeah but on um other people i feel like are really influencing things yeah i mean i absolutely love the fact that people like david delighton did hard work to expose planned parenthood so I think that we need a lot of investigative reporting on these issues. And as far as, um, you know, kind of organizations getting out there, I think Live Action is doing some awesome work. I really like, um, you know, Susan B. Anthony List, when we talk about kind of putting your, uh, your, your, your pro-life beliefs into actions, I think that they're doing a lot to, um, to kind of support this, support this president. So I think that's awesome. Um, I really am a big fan of um, Alveda King and Frank Pavone. Um, I think people who are just, you know, they're like, this is an issue that I really care about and I'm, I'm really going to work hard and I'm going to reach people on this. I think we need, we need warriors on this issue. So I think that they're, they're really influencing a lot of people. Um, but when it comes to kind of celebrities and like outside of the, the pro-life realm, um, I really like, um, I saw that uh, this was a while ago, but the ad that Tim Tebow had for the Super Bowl when he um, kind of talked about how his um, his mom had those pregnancy complications. I know that that caused a huge stir because everyone was like, oh, my gosh, it's a Super Bowl ad and they're they're putting this out there. So I think anytime someone um, someone says, you know what, I don't care about the, the backlash. This is this is truth. I'm put it out there. I think it's awesome anymore. Well, final question, where can all of the listeners find a copy of your book? Yeah, well, you can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Christian Book, um, an e-book, a, a lot of uh, sources, and it's called The Choice, 
the abortion divide in America. So, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Danielle D'Souza Gill. Thank you so much once again for taking the time to talk to us about this. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my discussion with commentator and author Danielle D'Souza Gill on her book, The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. Please do subscribe, like this podcast, go to lifesightnews.com and click on the podcast tab if you want to listen to past episodes. We've been having some phenomenal discussions on issues concerning life and family and right across the culture. And if you want to check out any other relevant life and family news, lifesightnews.com is a great place to start. Thanks so much for joining us, and we do hope you'll join us again next week.